After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. All of you 85-pounders are punks. I hope nothing happens for you. I really do. Every 85-pounder that's on contract right now, you are all scumbag punks. 
morning, guys. Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, we got all sorts of things going on. We got rumors galore. We got Twitter activated. And we got a pay-per-view this Saturday. Let's get to it. I look forward to my upcoming fight. I am well into preparation. That's Conor McGregor. That's a quote. Quote of a tweet of his that I read about two hours ago. Pull that right off the top of my head, by the way. Is that impressive to you? Right off the top of my head, huh? And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Ready for my next fight well into preparation. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. And it even gave us a little bit of information that interests me. I would love it. I'd love to go watch a Conor McGregor Dave training. And I think some of you can relate with me, but not everybody. Some people want to just see that sport. Like the thought of a practice or a workout doesn't do, do much for you. I was on vacation a couple of years ago in San Diego. Coach Daryl Christian called me. I called my partner, Ryan. We met at Tiki and Paul's gym and watched Brian Ortega Juan Archuleta and TJ Dillashaw do a round-robin workout. And for me, that was just a blast. I was on vacation. That was, for me, that was vacation time. That was really fun. And, and I said, because I like to watch guys work out. I like the 24-7s. I think Embedded is the top show that we've ever produced in this space. I love those behind the scenes. Connor said he was going to Big Bear. It's a long time ago four months or something along these lines. Connor went out and did the Ultimate Fighter uh, program that I enjoyed. But the Ultimate Fighter, while being told out one side, is a reality show. The reality is it's a show. The Super Bowl's a show. Is that a reality show? It's, what, it's one of these strange things, but it is the ultimate training camp. You get all these bodies. You get what the best coaches in the world. You get the best facility. If there's any piece of equipment they don't have, you tell them they'll have it overnighted to you. And Connor went through that process, and that's interesting to me. But what he didn't include, what he said he was well in preparation, is a video and or pictures. And Connor's usually pretty good at attaching videos and or pictures. Now, he largely does that through Instagram. I'm referencing a specific tweet. But you do come back to the point of, how many times can I get it up just to crash back down? How many times can my excitement and my blood pressure and my temperature as a fan get up here when I know it's just going to nosedive? How many of those times? And I will tell you, I felt for myself, I'm, this is a personal statement, that today was that day. I felt like today was that day and, and this was the tweet. I'm well in preparation for my next fight. I felt like that was that that was the crash where I go, okay. You ha you have a worker, you have marks. I'm not one of them. I'm on the inside of the apron. I know what's going on. I've been to the show, I've seen the strings. I'm a mark. I've fallen for it. Too many times. And Rosie O'Donnell, a number of years, went, she was talking with Oprah and she talked about fame and fame being a drug. Rosie was on a show known as The View. And there was a lot of exposure. It was a really big show. And it was every single day. And she came off of that. And she talked about how hard it was, how she was down. And I can tell you, in our world, just store that thought away. But it obtains to our world because fighters call it post-fight depression. And it doesn't matter if you won the fight or you lost the fight. When all of that excitement, when all that purpose, when all of that attention is gone because we've moved on to the next one. 
it can be very, very hard on the athlete for a short period of time, but it's real. And the athlete will even then go to social media, put something out that isn't pertinent, that is off-brand, that does not help their character move forward, but they'll do it because it will get a response which garners attention and helps to serve as a void for that drug of fame which is gone. So, Connor, no matter how big he is, is a very glaring example of that. Fighters, and, and by that term, because we talk fighting over here, it's a level of fame. It, it, it's 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 the, the school quarterback, but he but he hurt his shoulder and couldn't move on to the next level. It's the actor that had the big motion picture but doesn't have a new script. Anything that goes really big and then comes down. When there's no hope of ever igniting that again, whether you're out of eligibility, you've been released, your career's over, whatever that might be, the only thing they have to look forward to to return them to that high is drugs and alcohol. It is a very dismissed and undertalked part of the sport. Pro wrestling is just now diving into it. It's called the dark side of the ring. I'm telling you the things that you haven't heard. Now, I, I only bring this to you, and I bring it to you for a very serious reason, which is that's when it's over. When it's over, if you ever run into an athlete who, when it's going on, who, when still in the midst of it, has turned to those things, you, you, you have a different level of problem. The Hollywood star that once was, it's always a very sad story. The star in Hollywood that's at those events and doing those things while it's still going on. That's a whole nother car crash down the road. Not maybe, not some of the time, 100% of the time. And so now when I'm feeling this as a fan and we're well in preparation for the fight, we're well in preparation. But what does that do aside from get Connor attention? It builds us up, built me up, gave me a charge until I realized I am a fool. And now I'm wondering how long have I been a fool? And how many more times will I be fooled? That's the game. You got a worker, you got a mark. The worker still got to keep working. He just got to make sure the mark keeps on marking. The great ones can do it. And he's a very good one. But anything short of I have turned in my paperwork is him working us marks. And isn't it a fascinating, I mean, when I tell you guys that I hope this fight between McGregor and USADA happens, I don't just hope it happens because of the entertainment. And I don't just hope that it happens because for the first time ever, the bully will be put in their place publicly. I hope that it happens because there is a massive lack of clarity. And whenever there is a lack of clarity, the bully wins every time. Anytime there is a rule or a clause where you interpret one way and the bully interprets the other, the bully will bring the power down on you without exception, with no regard to extenuating circumstance. And some of these rules are very unclear. It would seem as though if something is so, the reverse, the polar opposite, would also have to be clear. All right? If yes, if yes means something, no has to also mean something. 
Even if it doesn't give you approval, okay, but that's what it means. It's still clear. It's still obvious, right? If one thing is so, the, the polar opposite also has to be so in a direction. Conor McGregor, by example, could have retired on Twitter. Post that Conor put out today said, I am well. I am looking forward to my next fight. I am well in preparation. That's a quote. They said it confusing. Here's the quote one more time. I'm looking forward to my next fight. I am well in preparation. But if Connor had said that, and he said, I am, my mind is made up, and I am retired. If he said that, per the rules of which has a precedence and would not even be debated, he would be out of the pool. He would be ineligible to test. He would be beyond a disciplinary approach for whereabouts or anything else. He absolutely could retire over social media by saying the words. So so I would I would think that the exact opposite has to have a meaning as well, which is what he did today. You have a retired athlete who's told the world through the form of social media that he's an unretired athlete, but you have an agency that's saying his clock has not started because they have not tested him. And I don't think you're going to run into an arbitrator anywhere that's going to ask any other question other than to look to USADA and say, why did you not walk up and ask him for a sample? It's going to be as simple as that. Did you walk up and ask this man for a sample, same as you would any other athlete that you have jurisdiction over, yes or no? Yes or no? And they're going to say no. Conor McGregor is back. It's not Chael talking, that's Chael quoting Connor. Connor's going to fight Michael Chandler. Connor's returned to the sport. Connor is in preparation. This is all Connor talking, not Chael. Those are exact quotes. Usada has not asked him for a sample. And they're prepared to tell an arbitrator that they didn't have the right to test him. But they would have been forced to accept a retirement under the exact same circumstance. And the answer on that is not clear. I, I don't feel as I've just laid out a winning argument for you. I feel as though I've laid out an argument for you. That whether this is just an attention-seeking move from Connor or not, if Connor's next move is anything less than I have turned my paper into USADA, I, for one, won't be covering it. Ronda Rousey coming back to MMA. Have you guys heard him? What do you think? Is this even a topic? Should we should we even be discussing this? Because there, there is one thing that's very relevant that lends to a support of the idea of Ronda coming back. Look, Ronda's career was unlike any other. Not only the way that it started, not, not only the fire that burned while it was there, not only the stories and the attention and the media and the allure, it's, it's really quite uncomparable, but also the exit. And part of that exit was a misunderstanding by you, the audience. Rhonda found herself in a very unique spot in that the perception 
and the image and the media and the stories and the narrative and the attention greatly outgrew the skill set. So when you're put in that interesting situation, with her level of fame and attention, with the check and the money that she's commanding that the promotion must come up with to get her participation in the evening, she's got to be a main event. You could not justify to anybody throwing Ron in a card with that level of payment and not having her be the marquee name. And I bring that up because when it was time to retire, Ronda was still a top 10, likely a seven, likely a six to eight, somewhere right in this spot. But I'll just share with you, in most people's career, they will work their entire career and they would take the deal at any point. Right, Genie pops out of the bottle, and you, you don't get to see how far your career goes, but I guarantee you're top seven. They would take that deal. They would be so proud. They would keep those clippings. They would show that to their grandkids. In Rhonda's position, she looked as number seven, number where, wherever she fit in that, still in the top ten, but not number one. She looked at it as a fail. Oh, and by the way, there was no one to compete with. Because when it was made very clear that she wasn't the top dog, that she was not the world champion, when that was made very clear, where was she going to go? And for anybody else's career, they would have really settled into that spot. One of the top draws, got some attention, going to be a main card, going to be on TV, going to have some exposure, all of these really good things. But for her, felt as though it was being diminished and she had no choice other than to walk away. And I bring that to you because it's very interesting that if she were to return now, she would not return into a world title fight. She wouldn't return into quite that upper echelon of girls. She could return against somebody. But don't forget, somebody is what made that story work in the first place. Somebody and taking them and convincing the world that this is the next best thing is, is what made that whole thing work in the first place. It wasn't the actual skills and or abilities. And now I, she'd find herself in that same spot where you could come back, where could work out a new contract, made a little bit more sense for everybody. You wouldn't have to be in a main event. You wouldn't be for a world title, right? I mean, I'm just suggesting these things for you. You'd have a very interesting story about the queen returning home. And as long as you could block out Amanda Nunes and you could act as though Amanda wasn't having these same thoughts about coming back someday, you could create a real allure and you could create some real interest. And I'm not predicting for you at all that Rhonda would come back. What I'm suggesting for you is when Rhonda left, she had to leave. The way that her contract worked, it would not make sense to have her anywhere other than world titles fight main events. And it was made very clear that she couldn't be in world title fight main events. You had, she was had nowhere else to go. And that's not what it looks like now. And the scene would be very different, and the interest would very much be there, and it wouldn't be about world titles, and it wouldn't be about being the best. It would be a different story now, a more realistic story now. And I don't believe that we're ever going to be confronted with this or that this is going to need to happen. But I'm sharing for you, if it was to happen, and everybody leaves for a reason, everybody leaves so that they can come back. You can't have to come back if you didn't leave in the first place. And the time and the setting and the competition and the opponents and what this is for and what it's about is very different and it's a lot more realistic. It'll be a lot more of a competitive situation if we were to be confronted with a comeback in the first place. I think it's nothing more than rumor. I think it's fun. If I was her, I wouldn't shut it down. No reason to. 
But a lot of these things, somebody marks out for their own gimmick, right? They come out for some attention. They come out looking to get, and then it starts to become real. They start arguing cases and points that they never believed in the first place. And over a small period of time, they now do believe in it. They forgot how the whole thing started. They forgot the genesis was just for attention in the first place. Every comeback looks like this. It starts out as a joke, but it gains a little bit of steam. It gains a little bit of momentum. And I don't know that we're going to see this here unless the fans do understand it's not going to have to be like it once was. It's not going to be main events against the best in the world. It's going to be competitive and meaningful matches with somebody who gets to go in with somebody else who's a star. It's possible. It's unlikely. As far as I do go, I don't hate this one. kinds of guys out there, like there's types and categories, for sure there are. And one of those types that I've been around a lot in my life, and I have always been polite. 100% of the time I've, I've been polite, but but inside, I, respect is lost, or at least fear or intimidation is lost. I've had opponents of mine, or guys that were perceived opponents, Tell me what it is they've done in the weight room, just for example. Instead of discussing what's going to happen when you and I square off one-on-one, they'll tell me that they put up 400 pounds on the bench press. And so that's a kind of guy. But I know another kind of guy, which is that guy's trainer. I know the trainer. I know the coach that becomes the mouthpiece of, and he also doesn't talk about a technique or an impressive victory, or a plethora of impressive techniques and victories. He also will talk about that he can do a 4.500 meter race. That he did 17 pull-ups one time, and then turned it around, did his biceps, and did 10 more without ever taking a break. I mean, it's the kind of guy... And I've heard about that kind of guy a number of times in my life. I've never feared it, I've never respected it, and I've never lost to it. That's just that's just me. That's just the truth. The big blown-up guy with all the mother that can do all these certain things in the weight room, I wear him down every single time. And when I hear it, I also know who's who. There's a there's a massive difference in the trainer that's working on specific techniques as opposed to the trainer that will tell you about the workload that was done in the weight room by his athlete. It's just, it's just different. So when I come out today and I have a trainer telling the world about the numbers of the athlete, but that trainer is Glover Teixeira and that athlete is Alex Pierre, all of a sudden I'm in a different spot because now I'm listening, right? So when Glover Teixeira is bragging about the numbers of Alex Pierre, let me give you an example. Glover Teixeira said, you can see his abs right now, and he weighs 230 pounds. There's a lot on that. What would normally possibly annoy me, I'm now listening, because this isn't just Glover Teixeira, right, the guy that we like, or Glover Teixeira, who's a loyal cornerman training partner of Pierre. This is also the former champion of the world, the very weight class that we're discussing. And guys, if you know this from anyone, you know it from me. Every athlete has a number. 
very seldomly does that athlete ever learn what that number is. So that would mean even more seldomly do we, the audience, know. Daniel Cormier, for example, is a heavyweight. Daniel Cormier made both of his Olympic teams not at heavyweight. Daniel Cormier won the world championship at 205 pounds before he moved up and won it at heavyweight. But I would submit for you, he won it at heavyweight easier than he won it at 205. I would submit that for you. And I will also tell you the year that Daniel Cormier wrestled heavyweight, which included over the best heavyweights in the world, he gave up less points than any other year that he wrestled at 97 kilograms. And I just use those as arguments to share with you that Daniel was a heavyweight. That was his number. And Piera is a world champion at 185 pounds. But I submit for you that perhaps he does not know where his best body of work comes from. Look, I've never heard Glover talk about somebody with so much praise. But I've also never heard Adesanya speak about an opponent with so much praise. Adesanya has made it very clear, I don't like him. Adesanya has made it very clear, I will fight him. I have not buried the hatchet. Adesanya has made it very clear, that is an extremely difficult opponent to fight. In fact, Adesanya told as a blanket statement to the 205 pounders, good luck with him. Have fun. You're about to feel what that guy, what a monster that guy actually is. You can't get better praise from Israel Adesanya. There has never been better praise. And if I just combine those statements, because see, there's a narrative out there, guys, and I don't know that you have it, I'm not implying that you do, but some of you hands have to go up. There is a narrative and a belief that Pierre is going to get taken down by 205-pounder and he's going to get held there. And to, to, to imagine a 230-pound man ripped up with abs, who, by the way, is a former kickboxing world champion, who, by the way, is a former... Mixed martial arts world champion is just going to get held down by somebody. It's going to just get taken there and held there by somebody. That's really hard for me to believe. It's really hard for me to picture. And it most certainly might happen, right? Yeah, it might. But it might also be shown to us that walking around training camp at 2.30 Dropping down and weighing in at 205 and getting back up to about 220 for match day is closer to the number. The preferable training and competing number of Alex Piera. I believe Alex Piera was a world champion at the wrong weight class. I don't have enough evidence yet to prove that. I don't have enough evidence yet to convince you guys. But I believe it. And I believe what you saw from Alex Pierre at 185 is nothing compared to what you're going to see from Pierre at 205. All of you 85-pounders are punks. I hope nothing happens for you. I really do. Every 85-pounder that's on contract right now, I'd like to make a mental note. Frankly, I'm not big enough fan that I'm going to study all of you, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to memorize who all of you are, and if I ever have a point in my career to not help you, I'm going to do it. You are all scumbag punks. 
all of you. Now, let's set that aside because I want to have a joyous day. And somebody who's more courageous than every middleweight within the Ultimate Fighting Championship, right? You guys are supposed to be the brave. This is supposed to be the ultimate proving ground. You are supposed to be the elite. You're none of those things. You're none of them. None of you. All of you, champion on down, suck. Do you want to know why? Because you all had the opportunity to take on Bo Nickel. Now, I realize that only three of your phones rang. I realize only three of you out there actually got the call. But you all knew that Bo was without an opponent. You all knew that Bo was on the main card. And you all know that you're not likely to beat Bo. That's what you know. You've all conceded that. Conceded that. Now, they'll keep that real quiet. And believe me, whoever this, this, this rankings person is, we're led to believe it's a committee and it's a group of people. I, I don't think so. I'm not per positive the person can fog a mirror. I'm not positive it's not a computer program. I'm just sharing. Everybody in the sport needs to know every 85-pounder out there, who you really are, which is a punk. You should not be ranked in front of Bo Nickel. Now, you know what? I, I said that goes from the champion on down, and I need, I need to clarify it because that isn't true. Champions guarantee TV time. Champions clean on this. Number one contender, number two, number three, number four. These guys are guaranteed TV time. The rest of you 85-pounders, all you three whose phone rang, but the rest of you that heard about it and didn't grab your phone and go out and pursue this do not deserve to be ranked in front of Bo, period. It is a 100% concession, 100% concession that you're not tough enough to hold that spot. And whoever does the rankings, I can assure you, not only won't take this into consideration, doesn't even know this is happening. That rankings person, committee, or program is the most out-of-touch part of this sport. So any 85 pounders wanted an opportunity or begged or questioned bows or questioned what they have to do to get to a certain spot, You've now revealed yourself for who you actually are. And some of you, particularly the three of you who received those phone calls, and you stayed quiet, you stayed safe, did you? Dana never came out and outed you. Sean Shelby never came out and told the world who you are. You know in your heart who you are. And all, you have excuses. It was too short a notice. Your weight, you couldn't get the weight under control because it was set short notice. You didn't have the proper training camp. My trainer watched his tape and he wouldn't let me. It doesn't really matter. There was an opportunity for you to be on the main card. And so you got to understand this from an adverse standpoint. I've seen people push back on the idea that Bo Nickel get a main card spot. I've seen the pushback on that, but now you see why. I mean, now you see all the guys who have scattered. Best General never fires the show. We don't have to actually have you guys fight to do rankings. We could just ask you guys. Who here can beat who? Who here is willing to try to beat who? And we can kind of figure out a top 10 just based on that. And we just had an entire division clear out, pass on the opportunity, admit they'd rather fight undercard, not want to get a check this weekend. Paid prize fighters passed upon the prize. They passed upon the fight. They passed upon the opportunity. Three of them. Three of you got a phone call. The tone in your voice was so far away from possibly being able to accept that the matchmakers knew we need to go find someone else. 
We need to find an actual tough guy. And apparently at 185, we don't have any yet. And it's just an observation by me. But there's also a frustration and a surprise by me. I came from a different time. If you back down from a fight, you got looked at differently as a fighter. You, you don't have to fight anybody, by the way. You can be a popular guy and a success. You can be all these different things, you just, but you don't get to be in this category. This category of badasses, or what, but this category you don't get to be in if you're not willing to do the work when the work comes along. And now we have an entire division of middleweights signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship, which is said to be the true pre, uh, pr training ground. Proving ground. The elite. And you guys back down from a 24-year-old with three pieces of experience, a main card opportunity. You let somebody else get into the club. Somebody else got signed. Somebody else's name will go in the rotation. Somebody else is now there to compete with, to compete against, to take your spots, take your advertising money. You let those things happen. Instead of meeting someone at the door and guarding your house, you let them come in. You thought nobody would notice. You thought not having a train camp was going to be a good excuse. You thought, you thought being broke, but refusing to go to work. You thought wrong, and you got caught, and you're a bunch of punks. Stayed in State College. You guys know what I'm talking about? Bo Nickel went to Penn State University, which is in State College. And he becomes a professional fighter. And he starts training with the American top team. And he got some very special attention, specifically from George Masvidal. George Masvidal, who lives in Florida and attends the American top team. I'm, I'm just sharing that with you because a lot of the videos and the pictures that you see when Bo is at the top team and he's in Florida and he's training are very selective photos of, of days, uh, Bo's ordinary life. Bo still goes into the Penn state wrestling room. He still shakes hands and goes hard against David Taylor. Just for example, he wrestles live goes and matches against Kyle Schneider. Just for example. And we so many times do have a, a group of people that pay respect to wrestlers to pay a respect to the ability to wrestle as it pertains to MMA. But there is always a misconception, including by the athletes, that the person that was once upon a time a better wrestler still gets to be today without sharpening that tool. I mean, I could name for you the greatest wrestlers on paper the sport has ever had. But then I could go back and I could look at any random fight that you asked me to, and you're not going to see them out-wrestle the opponent. Or if you do, not by much. You're not going to see very many takedowns anywhere. And it's not because they found another way, and it's not because of the defense, right? I mean, that's part of the narrative that I have heard, that people, even that didn't wrestle, can go and learn the defense. They can learn how to sprawl. I hear that, and that is a piece of it. I wouldn't tell you that you're wholly wrong. I would just share for you the part that you're missing is that fancy wrestler has forgotten how to do it. So when you have a guy like Bo Nickel, who wants to be known as complete, he wants to be known as well-rounded, but if push comes to shove, he needs to take down any man standing across from him. Bo could actually do it because he's still in the room and he's still actually practicing taking those guys down. 
And when you look at fighters and you look at guys that don't reach their potential, or they come into the sport and then something happens and it just doesn't work out. Most of them don't have their head on their shoulders. Most of them, as, as, as the attention got bigger and the lights got brighter and the checks got larger and the arenas got fuller, most of them got distracted. And that's just a reality. And when you have somebody like Bo that chooses to stay in State College, Bo was married. Bo was settled down. I see pictures of Bo doing just about everything from social media. I don't see him at parties. I don't see an alcohol brand with him, just for example. I talked to Bo on a somewhat basis. He's never invited me to, hey, come out after the fight. His dad's never sent me a message that says, hey, we're going to be at the Hulu Theater. We got our own private booth. Why don't you? I mean, I'm just sharing for you. It, it's a little bit different. And you do have guys that are consummate competitors. And as much as you think this is right in front of you, I will tell you the first person to ever enter this sport and treat it like an actual athletic event was Randy Couture. And it was a big deal when Randy used to do that. It was a big deal that Randy would have trainers and he would have set training times and he would have an actual strategy and a plan. It was a big deal that Randy would eat right, that he'd be focused on what day am I going to rest? What day am I going to work on my groundwork? He would sit down with somebody, they'd have a notepad, they'd watch tapes and come up with game plans of his upcoming opponent. And it's, that might all sound normal now, guys. There's a lot of guys that saw the success that Randy had and went and copied it, but there is different levels of professionalism. There is different levels of guys who are here on a pursuit. It's not all about money. It's not all about fame. It's about getting the matches and winning the matches that you've got. Bo's got a last-minute replacement here. And good for the replacement, right? What a stud. What a stud to step up. But I got to tell you, you got to make sure that you give that same credit to Bo. There are so many people that would not do that. They would not take on somebody that they weren't prepared for. They want to take on somebody they don't have film of. They want to take on somebody they're not familiar with. They wouldn't risk it all and put it all on the line. Or then you have somebody like Bo, who's got a wrestler's mindset. It would never cross Bo's head. Never would it even enter his head to turn down a match or say, that's not the style I want. He doesn't even know that he can. I'm not joking about that. In two or three years, once Bo starts to, to really learn this scumbag sport that we're in, all of a sudden, he might. He might because then at least he would know that he could. He doesn't even know right now. He doesn't even know that when his phone rings and they tell him a guy, that that's like a discussion. And I'll just share with you how refreshing it is because something is going on at 185 pounds. Something massive is going on at 185 pounds. I do not believe Yuri Prohaska is stepping in as the number one contender. I do not believe that Yuri Prohaska is going to be fighting Israel Adesanya. But I brought it to you publicly and my phone has rang. My very powerful people who are asking me to stop saying it. Why? And I just got a, I've got a real good look at 185 right now. I don't hear Chemayev demanding the title shot. Paulo Costa used to be right there saying, I'll go through Chemayev to get myself to a title, title shot. Sean Strickland has very politely used the term title shot. But it wasn't in a demanding type fashion. Duplices and Whitaker, you guys keep telling one another, is a number one contenders match. But that is nothing more than scuttlebutt within our industry. It is literally you saying it to each other. 
Whitaker hasn't said it. Duplicis hasn't said it. Adesanya says to say I'm taking on the winner. Dana hasn't said it. And I get where that fight, I, I understand why you guys keep saying that. I'm just trying to bring to your attention that nobody's actually told you that. Oh, and by the way, if that is the case and the information that we've given is true, which is Izzy will defend in August. August is next month. I just don't think that there's a time in recent history that you can tell me or show me a number one contenders match that gets turned around in a month. That is just simply not the way that they do things. So if it's not that match, if I'm right, if I've discovered something here, if I have discovered that Duplicis and Whitaker is not a number one contenders match, then who is? And I think it's the most interesting thing going on in our sport right now. I think it's the single greatest storyline. If Duplicis and Whitaker, regardless of who comes out on top and regardless of how they do it, if they are not going to be next for Izzy because it's just not enough time to turn it around, who is? And it's not a situation of we're going to find that out or we're going to figure it out. It's a situation of we know full aware we haven't revealed it yet. And I just think that's interesting. I do not believe it's going to be Prohaska. But I do believe as unlikely it is to be Yuri Prohaska, it's not going to be Prohaska, guys. I, as unlikely as that is, Turning around the winner of Duplices and Whitaker in 30 days is just as unlikely. Bringing Sean Strickland in, who's not ranked in the top five and just came off one win, I think is just as unlikely. You could do all of these things. I think they're all just as equally unlikely. Not letting Chemayev have a fight at 185 pounds and just putting him in. All of these things are possible. All of these things could be done. We swallowed, we move right on with our day. But we're not in an argument of what is most likely or who deserves it the most. We're in a discussion of, of all these really unlikely topics, which one is coming out? I think it's a very peculiar situation. Why'd they call me? Why, why, why are they telling me not to say, not to open my mouth about that, about Prohaska and Izzy? I don't think they're going to fight. I also don't think the winner of Duplicis and Whitaker is going to turn around and go against Adesanya in a month. That's true. I also don't think somebody out of the top five is going to get pulled in. I think that there is a plan. I think that the plan is known. I think it just hasn't been revealed to us. I also think it's the hottest story in all of MMA right now. My official prediction, Duplicis versus Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker, of course. Of course, I think he's going to win. So do all of you. It's a massive spread in the odds. There's nothing about this match that is overly compelling. I'm not looking to be a jerk about it. I'm really confused what we're doing. I'm generally wondering, why are, we, why are we doing this? You have the clearest number one contender in the sport. That used to be Colby Covington, but Colby is now, we're told, is going to be fighting with Leon. So I'm taking Colby off the board. The clearest number one contender that you have is Robert Whitaker. And he's going to take on Duplessis, who I believe is ranked number six. And Duplessis is a total stud. But there's there's a story going on here that's bigger than the X's and O's between these two. Duplessis, I, I don't know that Duplessis is, is all that much younger than Whitaker. He just feels it. I haven't actually looked at that on paper, like a tale of the tape situation. I just know Duplessis feels like he's the younger. He feels like he's the next wave. But the much bigger story here, okay, International Fight Week is believed to be the biggest and most important card of the year. At least in theory, that's so. 
Supporting that theory is the fact that UFC 200 fell on International Fight Week. I mean, just by example, things are done to really build this up, and these two are in a real feature match. That if you listen to any headlines out there, is a number one contenders match. Nobody in a position of authority has said that. I, I just feel like I constantly need to remind you of that. But on December 10th of last year, okay, there was a card. And it was at T-Mobile. And it was to be Prohaska versus Glover Teixeira. The worst drawing rematch of all time. It's why, it's why I remember the date. They did everything they could to avoid having to do that rematch, but here we were. Bo Nickel was on that card. And Duplessis was on that card. And Bo Nickel had TV time, known as main card. And Duplessis did not. And Bo Nickel was very hot then. His name was everywhere. The media was really pumping behind him very well. And Duplessis had 334 Twitter followers. He had almost no support. And Duplessis did a better job than anybody on the card that night of building and self-promoting his own match. And Duplessis took Bo on straight, straight on. He took on all the decision makers behind Bo. He took them straight on. He said, we are in the same weight class. Here's what I have done and here's what I have accomplished in this organization at this weight class. This young man is debuting. If you have any question about this young man and me, just put us together. I will fight him that night. And Duplessis wanted the spot. And I just remember this. And I had to search it. I heard this was going on. I heard about this young man, and I heard he was he was getting vocal, and I heard he felt that he was not given his placement. So I went and found him, and that's why I know he had 334 followers. I looked it up. It's the reason that his message wasn't getting out there and it wasn't resonating. He just didn't have the followers back then. But guys, it's very important. This was December 10th. This is an undercard guy, Duplessis. December 10th, this is an undercard guy that would have lived and stayed and died on the undercard. That's where his career would have gone. But he had different ideas and he wasn't afraid to speak up. Now, here we are a very short seven months later. And he is being discussed to be next in a main event of a pay-per-view for the world championship. And there's just, there's different ways to do your career. But that really is the story of this fight. Duplessis, who was supposed to fight on December 10th. I don't know who that opponent was supposed to be. Can't recall. But it was an undercard fight. He will now be locked in there with the former world champion who is a future Hall of Famer. And he's one win away from possibly being the top draw on the marquee. And it's it's a very interesting change. And one thing that is consistent at the Ultimate Fighting Championship is it's a place for guys who want to fight. And there's not very many times when you get to find out who that is. There's a lot of guys that will say the right things at the right times when they're asked and they'll they'll bang their chest, but there's not a whole lot of times where they actually get put in a position where you get to distinguish between who's looking for cuts in line at their local strip club and who a true badass is. There's just not a lot of times. And Duplessis was put to one of those tests and he passed it. And I haven't been to his Twitter today but I'm very confident it's not 334 anymore.
and I'm very confident that he's not going to jerk to an undercard. And when I look at his skills versus Robert Whitaker's, I see a gap. I, I don't see a good match being made here. If you're looking for back and forth, if you look for tit for tat, if you're looking to shine somebody up, which is part of the narrative, and many believe that that is what's happening here with Duplicis. He has to get that right win so we can move him into a world title fight. This isn't the one. I don't know what these two are fighting for. I don't know what these two guys are fighting about. I've never heard from Whitaker what, what he wants to fight Duplicis for. I've never heard him say anything even remotely close to interesting as far as why they're doing this. And then the same thing goes with Duplicis. Duplicis done a good job. He's building the fight. He's building the tension. He's building his own brand. Why he is fighting Robert Whitaker, I don't know. If you ask me who's going to win, I mean, this is one the odds makers have right. It's a fine fight. Go ahead and make it. Rinse and repeat, I'll move on with my day. If you think you're going to find a number one contender from this fight, you found the wrong match. Volkanovski is a 3-1 favorite. How do we get there? Volk's a 3-1 favorite over Uriah Rodriguez. How did we get there? Because you want to know something, guys? There was a line that came out, and nobody seems to want to discuss it. There was a line that came out when Uriah Rodriguez beat Max Holloway. Because that night, we believed Uriah became the number one contender. And they dropped the line for Uriah versus Volkanovski. And I'm aware that that's a fight that ended up not happening. They dropped the line. And guess what they had it at? 3-1. to one. Okay, great. But, but hold that thought. Because... It appears, and one thing that we will do in this sport, all, all, all things in life, but it's very glaringly clear in this sport, is we'll look at a guy's last fight as a way of determining his next fight. If he looked bad, right? You hear fighters talk about the highs and the lows, carries that with him. If he looked great, and that's where Volkanovski's at. Volkanovski not only almost won the world championship, some of us thought he did, he not only was competitive for the world championship, but he surprised us in being able to do that. Uh, his wrestling, just by example. We had no idea that Volk was that good of a wrestler. His submission defense, just by example. We just didn't know that about him. Volk hasn't been in defis uh, defensive positions all that much. The way physiology changed to go up 10 pounds, <clears throat> traditionally that would tie you out a little bit. Conditioning never became a factor, so he wowed us. He wowed us because he surprised us. So we see that wonderful performance. Guy that's so good, they took him out of a division. Guy that is so good within that division that they're looking to take him out again. And we made him a three to one favorite. Same as he was when a hypothetical line came out. And what's so interesting about this hypothetical line, guys, is... If we're following the equation that I just laid out, I don't think that any of you would disagree with that. But we're going to show all that respect to Volk. It would seem as though as part of our equation, we got to show that to Volk's opponent. If your rear convinced you he was 3-1, to 3-1 to one gap for, uh, away from Volk, but then your rear goes out and captures the championship himself, and he beats Josh Emmett, and he beats him on the ground. Don't forget the run that Emmett was on. It's as though zero credit was given to Rodriguez. Let me tell you some three to one fights, guys. Three to one is representative of something. It is representative of an opinion by the masses. 
that say this fight is leaning towards stoppage. If it doesn't get the stoppage, it is at a minimum expected to have dominance. And that isn't what happened. And again, I'm talking about Volkanovsky versus Islam. But it was also expected to not have dominance and not lean towards a stoppage when it was Rodriguez versus Emmett. Rodriguez surprised us. The same as he had done in his previous fight when he submitted Ortega. That was a surprise. It was a surprise to the point that the announcers said it didn't happen. Qu quite literally, Uriah Rodriguez submitted Brian Ortega, put him in armbar. And the moment that position, that armbar was done, when that, when that position had come to a close, the arm that was being attacked was injured. The athlete could not go on. The fight was stopped. Now, I should never, and I have never, since 1993, had to go into great, such great detail to tell you guys there was a submission. I have to do it this one time because it was a main event on ABC in front of the world. And we were told it wasn't a submission. So, I mean, right? I kind of scr turning my head sideways and scratching my head. And, and, and then it was almost dismissed. Well, that was a fluke fight. You don't get any credit for it. You don't get any credit for a fluke fight. That's what they decided against Rodriguez. And I just want to share with you, like, to win the fight, there's things that Volk has to do that Volk's very good and very likely to do. But to change the fight, for that fight to look different than we expect, and I'm not even talking about flipping outcomes. I'm talking about to have a different fight than the fans clearly expect with a three-to-one spread. The only thing that has to be done is that Rodriguez has to pose a threat in one position. If Rodriguez gets destroyed on his feet, just by example, he gets dominated in the wrestling, just by example, but he can offer a look from his back that Volkanovski is forced to respect, just that will change the fight. Because now all of a sudden, Volk is avoiding that position. Just for example, and as tricky as Rodriguez has shown to be in his last two fights on the ground, and as dynamic as we know him to be on his feet, the single greatest knockout that I have ever witnessed, I'm including boxing in that, was Rodriguez with one second left on the clock against the zombie. I think when you guys think of great knockouts, uh, Masvidal will come to mind for some of the newer fans. Gonzaga Krokop will come to mind for some of the longer fans. The greatest knockout our sports ever seen was Rodriguez against Zombie. And I, I just bring this to you because there's so all, all that Rodriguez has to do to give you a different fight, to give you a different look, to make you sit there and have sweaty palms as you're watching. If you took action on this, Rodriguez doesn't have to start winning rounds. He didn't have to open up a cut. He didn't have to hurt him. He didn't have to knock him down. He just has to offer a threat that's greater than Volkanovsky is currently expecting in one position. They could be on their feet clenched up. I mean, I bring, I'm bringing this to you guys. I know people think fighting is very sophisticated, but there's only a few places you can fight at. You could be on your feet separated. You could be on your feet touching each other. You could be in the center of the octagon. You could be against the fence. You could be on top 
With a match to the floor, you can be on bottom with a match to the floor. That's it. It, it. It's not an overly complicated sport like so many think. You've got to be great at this and you've got to be great at that. You must be a master at this and you must be a master at that. I guess. But what is this and that? If this and that is standing in front of a guy or standing but clenched, if this or that is being on the ground on top or being on the ground on bottom, if this or that is being up against the fence or being in the open, then yeah, you, you've got to be good at those things. That's true. And, and I, I bring that to you because if just one of those positions is something that surprises and forces a respect, and by respect, guys, I mean fear, I mean caution. They get somewhere and Volk feels, uh-oh, hey, I can beat this guy, I can deal with this guy. There's six positions, but now I'm down to five because I'm going to avoid that one. That will change the match. And I just believe that Uriah Rodriguez, my only message to you guys is I believe Uriah Rodriguez has the ability of those six positions, the only six positions that exist in our sport. I believe that the interim champion of the world is likely to pose a threat and be more dominant than Volk in one of those positions, should he find it, should the fight end up in that position and Volk experiences that and Volk changes, that three to one is not gonna be quite as dominant as you might think. My official prediction for Alex Volkanovsky versus Uriah Rodriguez. I got Volkanovsky, guys. You know what? The bigger story on this, if I'm talking to somebody, is to tell them this is a closer match than you think. Now, I don't know if you find that interesting. I, I don't know if that's a hook. Well, it's going to be closer than you think. I, I, I don't know. But I will tell you, Volk, from the beginning of this fight, including when it was just a hypothetical... DraftKings put him as a 3-1 to favorite. He held 3-1 to favorite. I brought you the odds over the course of the buildup of this fight today. Right now, it's 375. Volk is pulling away. And that, that is to signify something, right? A plus 375 is to signify, at a minimum, dominance. It lends towards the idea of finish. But it would definitely envelop not a close match, not a split decision, not a 3-2, this is a nail-biter, I wonder what Bruce Buffer is going to say. Now, Rodriguez is going to have to do and find something early that Volkanovski is not ready to defend. And he's only going to need one thing. This is not a battle of all your skills versus all my skills. He just needs one. He needs one attack that lands that he can then go back to. Look, there's a belief in fighting. You'll see some guys that get away from it and they don't do it. But you'll see other guys that will do it in the first round and they'll do it for the next 12. I'm bringing boxing just for an example. But the theory is if, if I can go out and I can land something on you tonight, then I can do it again and again and again and again as long as that's tonight. If we rematch and it's five months from now, the deal's not necessarily on. I'm going to have to come out and see it and find it. But the philosophy behind it is, if you're not ready and you don't have an answer now, you're not going to be ready and have an answer as the day goes on. So, 
If Rodriguez can find just one thing, he can change the landscape of this match completely. I think that it is very realistic for us to throw out wrestling as being that thing. I think it's very realistic that we would understand if it comes to a wrestling battle, that's going to favor Vulcan. And moreover, it's not going to be Rodriguez's choice. Even if he was to get on top, he can't rinse and repeat and get on top all night long. So that's not where it's going to be. And I think if you were to show Volk respect for his stand-up abilities and you were to reference such fights as Brian Ortega or all those wars with Max Holloway, you would come to a conclusion that Volk is very good and very dangerous on his feet. But if I was to tell you, give me just one example. Give me just one example of one opponent, one round, one time that Uriah Rodriguez got outclassed on his feet specifically. I think you have a hard time. I don't think you have a response to that. I do not think there's a time that you can tell, not just a fight. I'll break it down. You show me a round. You show me a round that Rodriguez lost that was predominantly on its feet because he lost the stand-up. I don't think you have an example. So now we start into a question of, okay, Volk's going to beat him. We, we know that Volk's going to beat him. We even think that Volk's going to dominate him. How? Where is he going to do that? Now you start to get into championship rounds, right? There, there's a separation in athlete. For the athlete that's been in the, the five-round club or who, who can go rounds four and five, you, do, you have a different category for guys that can do this, but Rodriguez has done it a number of times. Rodriguez had to dig deep one time to the point that there was one second left on the clock in a 25-minute fight, and he knocked his opponent out. Yes, you heard me say that right. One second left in a 25-minute fight, and he knocked his opponent out. So I don't think that there's an example of a fight, or if we were to even break it down to a round or an evening, where you could tell me historically that Yarmir Rodriguez got out-conditioned in the later rounds. I don't think that you can do it. And I, I think as we start breaking down, we start being very realistic with each other. We start to be very honest with each other. Not the broad stroke about we love Volk. Not the broad stroke about how great Volk is. Not the broad stroke that he's the GOAT of 45. Not the broad stroke that he should be number one ranked in the world. Let's, let's break it down to the actual attributes that he's going to need to bring to beat Rodriguez. I think you start having a very different conversation. And nobody has worked harder or been more diligent from a strategic standpoint to make sure that you don't pay attention to Rodriguez than Rodriguez. Nobody has said fewer wonderful things about the skills of Rodriguez than Rodriguez. So it's a very interesting position. But the line has moved and the line has stretched and people are even more confident. And there was so much made of the physiology change in Volkanovsky for Volkanovsky going to take on Islam. There was so much made of that. There, there was meal prep companies that were getting plugs left and right. And there was a nutritionist. And there was Volkanovsky sitting there and he's having to eat all of this food. There was, there was all this stuff done to tell the story of Volkanovsky changing his body so he could get up to 155 pounds, but I haven't heard anything done about Volkanovsky now needing to put that in reverse and cannibalize his own body to pull it back to 145 pounds. And I do think that it's very relevant. It's possibly helpful. He's possibly having to burn and, and extend and use so much energy that he's getting in the best shape of his life. I would listen to that for sure. But to act as though it doesn't play a factor at all is a bit of a surprise for me. And what evidence people have seen or what opinions they have come to to conclude that, that Volkanovsky should go from 
from, from a three to one favorite to almost a four to one favorite also surprises me. I'm hoping to hear it, but I would love to hear it. I'd love to hear it now. I'd love to hear it before the fight happens. I don't want to hear and I told you so after the fact. I'm asking you now. Tell me so now. If Volk is going to beat him, and by the way, he's going to do it in very dominant fashion, what does this fight look like? This is your classic ground and pound. This is your outstrike big brother and clench him. Dirty box. Go ahead and throw some term at me, whether you know what it means or not. Go ahead and tell me what you think Volk is going to do to dominate your rear to the point that it's appropriate for a four to one spread. want more of me though follow me on youtube enjoy the weekend enjoy the fights and i expect you all back here because class returns to session on tuesday until then i'm chael sonnen and you are welcome